And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Just four days to go until Election Day. Later in the hour, I'll talk to leaders in the Minnesota Senate who are hoping voters will back their candidates. But first, the candidates for Congress in Minnesota's 3rd District. The district covers many Minneapolis suburbs, including Bloomington, Edina, Maple Grove, Plymouth, Minnetonka, and Wyzetta. For years, it was solid Republican territory, but for a while now, it's been represented by a Democrat, Dean Phillips, who won in 2018 and again in 2020 and is seeking a third term this year. He has a business background, lives in Wyzetta. Dean Phillips, thanks for being here. Great to be with you, Mike. Congressman Phillips' Republican opponent this year is Tom Weiler. He's a 20-year veteran of the United States Navy, where he served on nuclear submarines. He lives in Plymouth. Tom Weiler, thank you for coming in today. Thank you very much for having us on, Mike. Well, uh, since our time is short, we're going to do away with the opening statements. I'll just ask you to answer a quick question, 30 seconds or so. Start with you, Dean Phillips. Why should voters send you back for another term? Well, Mike, I, I believe in decency, civility, and problem solving. Uh, I was recently named the most bipartisan member of the entire United States Congress by the Common Ground Committee, an independent group. I was named the most effective member of the entire Minnesota delegation uh, and also serve as the vice chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus, 28 Democrats and 28 Republicans who are doing what Americans want, sitting down together, trying to solve our nation's problem with civility, decency and great focus. And I'm trying to restore Americans' faith in government. Okay, Tom Weiler, why should voters send you to Congress? Well, great question. And what you heard there from Congressman Phillips was a bunch of personal stats and D.C.-centric stats, nothing about inflation, crime, and education that's impacting all Minnesotans. Um, I'm I'm simply running because I want to lead and I want to turn this country around when it comes to 40-year highs in inflation, crime, and struggling education. On the other hand, Congressman Phillips says stuff and does the other. He says he's a moderate, but he votes 100% with the President Biden agenda. He says he supports police, but he votes against them. He says he's against big money in politics, but he spent $1.3 million of his own big money to okay. win his seat. And he says he's okay. a man of the people, but he doesn't mow his own lawn. Okay. Um, well, let's start with one of the issues you raised, uh, inflation, rising prices on a lot of people's minds. Uh, what can Congress do about inflation, and what would you vote for to help fix the situation? And Dean Phillips, let's start with you. Well, start by acknowledging it's a, it's a problem, uh, and we have a... Uh, mismatch of supply and demand. Uh, it's a worldwide problem uh, caused by the pandemic. Uh, we should agree that we have a responsibility to do our very best to address it because it is deeply affecting American families. The good news is we're better off than just about every single developed country in the world. In fact, uh, out of the OECD countries, uh, there are 24 uh, with higher inflation than we do right now. With that said, I think it's time to uh, end the Trump tariffs that are essentially a tax uh, on American consumers. Uh, we just passed the Inflation Reduction Act. That will not be instantaneous, but over time, that's going to reduce our deficit by $300 billion over a decade. Uh, government spending does have a modestly uh, incremental effect on inflation, uh, and reducing the deficit, as we just did, uh, will help reduce that. Uh, and as supply chains catch up, uh, inflation will decrease, and we're going to have to let the Fed do its job. Uh, the good news is our economy is remarkably strong. 260,000 jobs just created last month. Okay. Lowest unemployment in Minnesota history right now. So we have to walk that fine line between uh, preventing a recession but reducing inflation. I believe we can do it, but we're going to have to work together okay. uh, instead of just throwing stones and condemnation. Tom Weiler, what can Congress do about inflation? What would you vote for? 
Well, here's uh, not throwing stones, actual real solutions, because Minnesotans aren't really concerned about where we are relative to the rest of the world, uh, how great Congressman Phillips thinks he's a bipartisan. We're concerned with how much gas costs, how much uh, heating our homes is going to cost this uh, winter, and how much a gallon of milk costs. So three things to actually help inflation and help the Minnesotans in the 3rd District. We need to reduce our excessive government spending. Congressman Phillips has voted for over $5 trillion worth of spending under the Biden administration. We need to reopen American energy. Energy is clearly an incredible large driver of overall inflation, and American can become energy independent again by reopening American energy. And we need to modify and adjust the Jones Act, which is a, a an act that limits the ability for U.S. Uh, companies to ship products uh, to other U.S. states via shipping. Um, so if we can cut the supply costs uh, to for products, uh, all these uh, prices that Minnesotans are paying at the grocery store will will lower. So those are three specific things that will actually lower the cost uh, lower the cost for all Minnesotans in the third district. Real uh, solutions for real problems. Uh, let me just ask you a follow up: um, record profits for oil companies in the last quarter. Uh, would you support any kind of a windfall profits tax on corporations? Uh, great question. Uh, I don't know that, you know, I'm not, I haven't looked at the books of the oil companies. Um, I know oil companies, just like every other company, uh, vodka companies, gelato companies, you know, they're all trying to make a profit. So, so I'm not sure what the right answer on is, is, is this too much profit or too little profit? Just like Congressman said, supply and demand drives the price of stuff. Uh, so if we, uh, opened up American energy and put more supply of oil and gas on the market, Guess what? That would lower costs for all Minnesotans in the 3rd District. Dean Phillips, what about you? Uh, windfall profits with some of the profits the companies have been making. Well, I th- if anybody's looking at this objectively, we should all be nauseated by the fact that uh, the largest five Western petroleum companies, I believe, earned in excess of $100 billion or so in the last quarter. Uh, the Saudi Arabia uh, oil firm, Aramco, uh, is making half a tr- billion dollars, $500 million in net income per day over the last 90 days. The answer is not to penalize businesses. I believe in free enterprise. I think the answer is to stop our consistent consistent reliance uh, on oil. Uh, yes, we should produce more right now because it is, an, it is a big issue. We should also be investing in clean energy so we're not reliant on our adversaries all around the world, Russia, Iran, uh, Venezuela, uh, and Saudi Arabia right now. Uh, that's how we do this. That's where bipartisan reasonable thinking can come in. But Americans should know why the price of gas is so high right now, and it is obscene that $100 billion in net income in 90 days is even possible during these inflationary times. Tom Weiler, quick comeback. America did have the ability to control the price of gas and oil because we were energy independent. Um, right now, the, the, the Biden administration, with the support and votes of Congressman Dean Phillips and other Democrats, has completely undercut our American oil and gas companies. That's leading to less supply, and that's leading for higher prices at the gas pump and to heat our homes this winter. It's that simple, and, and America can do better on that. We can reinvent American energy and invest in things like nuclear power in the long term. But Americans and Minnesotans need help on our energy costs today. Dean Phillips. I, I, just, I have to be forthright. You know, My, my opponent... I don't think understands how this works. Oh, I understand. The oil, the petroleum market is an international market. The oil firms, the the oil firms love these high prices. They want to do anything they can to maintain them because they are generating extraordinary windfall profits right now. There are thousands, thousands of federal leases that are unused because the oil companies don't want to increase production right now that will lower 
ultimately the market price for petroleum. That's why we have to migrate to clean energy, not just because it's economically proficient, not because it's in the best interest of our national security, but it's in the best interest of our children and grandchildren. Okay, you, let and me tell everybody. Companies are hold not going to invest in hold infrastructure on. when the Biden administration has clearly co- called out you know, to eliminate fossil fuel industry within the okay. next five to 10 years. Okay, we have to talk one at a time or else people aren't going to be able to hear what we're saying and we're not going to make our points and they're going to turn off their radios and we don't want that to happen. Of course so not. let me just remind everybody, you're listening to NPR News. Uh, this is a debate between Republican Tom Weiler, who's running for Congress in the 3rd Congressional District. He's running against uh, DFLer Dean Phillips, who is here as well. So let's uh, switch to another topic. Uh, another thing we've seen in Minnesota and around the country over the past couple years, a rise in crime. What can Congress do about crime, if anything, and what specifically would you support to get a handle on rising crime? And let's see. Let's start with Dean Phillips on this one. Well, thank you, Mike. And and the perception of crime that is growing is, is, a, is a real concern uh, to the people that I represent. Uh, the good news is, uh, having just uh, met with Chief Hodges in Bloomington, crime in Bloomington is at a four-year low. Plymouth, another large city in which my opponent lives. Crime is down again, Chief Fadden just announced. Uh, But the reality is we're seeing sensational crime, and we do have to take steps because our police departments uh, are suffering immensely. I'm proud to have been endorsed by the Minnesota Police and Peace Officers Association and the Fraternal Order of Police because I care deeply about law enforcement. Uh, We need to do a number of things. Support police, generally. Uh, We should pass my bill, the Pathways to Policing Act, which is pending in Congress right now, that would provide resources uh, to do so, to repopulate our police departments. Uh, We need to prosecute criminals, hold them to account, and reduce recidivism. That's a big deal. We need prosecutors who will do their jobs. And lastly, we need to invest in children and families and communities, Mike, because if we want to go upstream and actually reduce the incidence of crime, uh, that is where we start. And that, again, is where Democrats and Republicans have got to stop the complaining and the stone throwing and sit down together, work with our police chiefs, work with communities, work with our public policy leaders and actually solve the problem. I'm optimistic, but we have work to do. And it starts with working together. Tom Weiler, what can Congress do about crime? What would you vote for? Well, fortunately, there is a podcast of this. So I'd like the listeners to just rewind this after the show and listen to the first comment by Congressman Phillips. And that's the perception of crime. Uh, to me, there, there's a real crime issue. It's not a perception of crime. Crime, Violent crime is up in Minneapolis. It's up in the 3rd District. It's up all across this country. And that's quite simply the effect of the Democratic Party undercutting law enforcement and, and, and voting on things like taking away a qualified immunity, which Congressman Phillips did, voting to effectively defund cops on the street by, by levying additional administrative and training requirements without providing more resources. Crime is really the issue I got into this race. I was forward deployed on the USS Eisenhower in the Middle East in the summer of 2020. And I woke up to stand watch, turned on an armed forces network. And to my shock and sadness, it was my hometown, Minneapolis, on international news, the streets on fire, the third policing being abandoned. And I looked for any explanation on what was going on back home. And quite simply, there was just no leadership to be found. Congressman Dean Phillips and others were either inflaming the situation or doing absolutely nothing at all. And our communities deserve better leadership. Our law enforcement officers deserve support and deserve the resources as they protect and serve our community. Without public safety, nothing else really matters. And that needs to be priority number one. And that will be my number one priority is to support law enforcement, support law enforcement at every school and make sure they have the resources and the support they need to do their job effectively. 
Dean Phillips, quick. You know, it, it appears that facts don't matter a lot to my opponent. I just explained that crime is down in Plymouth, crime, crime is down in Bloomington, two of our largest cities in the third district. You know, the GOP talking points right now are all predicated on fear. Make people so afraid. Don't promise any solutions. Just criticize, condemn, and make people afraid. And yes, we do have problems, lots of them. We're not going to solve them by misleading people, by making them more afraid than they need to be. We are both fathers. We both have family. In Minnesota, we are both terribly concerned about the safety and security of everybody. We can achieve justice for everybody. We can achieve security for everybody. Uh, And we will. But it does not begin with misleading people with non-factual information. And like I said, the city in which my opponent lives, crime is actually down. Tom Weiler. I just want the the residents of Bloomington, Plymouth, Minneapolis, all the 3rd District to just think right now, do you feel safer in your community than you did two years ago, than you did four years ago? The answer is no, in my opinion, and I believe most the majority of Minnesotans in the 3rd District would agree with me. And all once right. again, and Minneapolis is not in the 3rd District. I want listeners to remember. Okay, we can stipulate to that. Let's, uh, let's uh, turn to another topic, uh, the abortion issue. It's been a big one since the Supreme Court shut, uh, struck down Roe versus Wade uh, last summer. Um, Tom Weiler, what's your position? Do you support any kind of federal ban on abortion? I, I do not support federal ban on abortion. I support uh, restrictions on abortion um, when, with certain exceptions uh, for the safety, the life of the mother uh, in, in cases of rape and incest. Uh, abortion is, a, is an incredibly important issue that our country's uh, discussing right now. Fundamentally, we're balancing and looking into two inalienable rights, the life of the baby and the liberty of the woman. So it, it, it should elicit an emotional and direct conversation by the American public. But you wouldn't vote for anything on the federal level to affect the issue? I, I definitely believe that the abortion issue is best solved by back to the people, and that's back through state legislations. Uh, Dean Phillips, what about you? Well, you just heard my opponent basically say he believes uh, he's in a better position to tell women what they should do with their own bodies uh, than they are with their health care providers. Uh, I am at the very opposite end of that. I believe deeply in freedom. I believe deeply in the liberty of women to make that choice. It should be only a decision made by women and their health care provider, period. I would argue that no lawmaker in the United States of America should intervene in that very difficult question, period, especially men. As a father of two daughters, I have to tell you, Mike, that the notion of them growing up in a country that has withdrawn a fundamental freedom from them, uh, that had endured for 50 years, almost my entire lifetime, isn't just nauseating. It's dangerous, uh, and I'm afraid it is what the GOP is focused on right now, to withdraw a core freedom of half of our country. It is wrong. It should be a decision only left to women and their physicians. Tom Weiler. And, and Congressman Phillips' point on that is is he is extreme on this issue. He voted, along with all the Democrats in the House, to allow abortion up until the time of birth. And just by the numbers, by public polling, that is a ex- more extreme position than anything I've discussed. And one thing to clarify, um, do I support women's rights and women's health care? Absolutely, I support women's rights and women's health care. I have a mother. I have a sister. I have a wife. I have a daughter. We're only talking about abortion here. So to act like um, I, I'm against uh, re- against health care and, and the rights of women is just simply false. Dean Phillips, 30 seconds. Yeah, this is just, every single every single thing my opponent is saying is right off a GOP talking point list. This notion that those who believe in women's freedom to make a decision about their health care is extreme and that I or anybody in this country would support abortions uh, on the last day of pregnancy is absurd. 
It's absurd, Mike. And I think listeners are smarter than that, and they know the difference. And I hope people don't fall into this trap uh, of saying that those who are supporting women's freedom to make that choice are somehow extreme. If that's extreme, we have a real problem. Tom Weiler, quick quick one. Yes, sir. H.R. 377, Women's Health Protection Act. That's what Congressman Phillips voted for, and that's what authorizes abortions up until the time of birth. Yeah, and, and I have to say, Mike, everybody can do their own homework. I hope people are critical thinkers. Google how many times women have abortions very late in their pregnancy. And if they do, it's because something tragic has occurred, either for their fetus or for themselves. This is fear-mongering at its very worst. It's despicable, it's wrong, it's misleading, and it's misinformed. Okay, let me, let me just move to another issue because there are so many that uh, Congress will deal with over the next few years. Uh, Social Security and Medicare. There have been some proposals to uh, raise the eligibility age to 70 for Social Security, uh, others uh, to require higher premiums for Medicare. Um, Tom Weiler, would you support anything like that? Absolutely not. Uh, we, we need to uh, – everyone who's paying into Social Security, Medicare, uh, the, the age limits on that or the age when those programs begin are, are simply not going to be changed uh, we do need to look at the long-term impact on this to make sure those programs are available when my kids uh, come to that age So, because the programs right now are, are not self-sustaining. So we need to make sure we, we look at that issue and don't kick the can down the road on that. But absolutely, uh, the retirement age uh, and when uh, seniors are eligible for health care is not going to change. I would never support any legislation like that. Dean Phillips, what about you? Well, as we all know, anybody paying attention, there is an effort uh, uh, among the GOP ranks to do just that. Uh, I'm pleased to tell you that I've been working with Senator Mitt Romney on something we call the Trust Act, which would ensure that the trust funds that support these integral programs, and they're not entitlements. Uh, People have worked their entire careers for their Medicare and Social Security benefits. Not only should they be protected, we have to ensure uh, that we keep up with the cost of living uh, and expand them. Because it is, the, it is the foundational element of the United States of America. Social Security is the most effective poverty-reducing program, not just in U.S. history, in world history. Uh, Medicare is the largest single, is a massive single-payer health care program. Uh, seniors rely on it. We have to protect, preserve. If we don't work together, once again, Mike, if Democrats and Republicans don't sit down and do what we are supposed to do, that is protect these programs... Uh, then we're in big trouble. And I'm disgusted with the tenor and tone of politics right now uh, that make it so unattractive to actually do the work that's necessary. And that's why I'm proud to serve as the vice chair of the Problem Solvers Caucus. We're working on these issues right now. Tom Weiler. Um, What problems has the Problem Solvers Caucus solved recently? And the other one is talking uh, talking about following the talking points of your party. I mean, uh, to to a point, there's no no Republicans that I've talked to or speak to have have said anything about increasing uh, the the age um, for seniors right now or, or people who have already paid in on Social Security or where they receive Medicare. So again, Congressman Phillips following the Democratic talking points, but there's no reality to that. Let me my, my 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 opponent just asked what the Problem Solvers Caucus has solved. Well, the 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 truth is this: we live in an era where only those who are bomb throwers, who are divisive, who are mean spirited. Uh, get on TV at night. Uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus are 28 Democrats, 28 Republicans that are committed to doing the work quietly. We're the sh- we're the workhorses, not the show horses. What have we done? Uh, I sat with President Trump in the White House Situation Room in 2019 during the government shutdown. We on the Problem Solvers, four Democrats, four Republicans at that time, got us through that shutdown. Uh, President Trump agreed to end it based on our proposition. The entire infrastructure bill, the most important investment in the United States in generations, Uh, was a direct product of the Problem Solvers Caucus working with our Senate colleagues. We do it all the time. 
The sad news is you don't know about it. I'm not surprised okay. my opponent isn't aware. The good news is it's happening, and I'm hopeful that Americans are exposed to the good work that we're doing uh, as we proceed. Tom Weiler, quick comeback, then I want to move on. Minnesotans are concerned with inflation, crime, and education, and our foreign policy, and the Problem Solvers Caucus, to Dean Phillips's point, hasn't addressed any of those issues. All right. Well, uh, since uh, President Trump's uh, name was invoked, let me ask you this question. Was the 2020 election fair, and will you accept the results of this year's election? And uh, Dean Phillips, start with you. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It saddens me that a single man, uh, President Trump, former President Trump, has used a big lie to undermine the very foundations of our democracy that have withstood so much challenge over the years. Uh, It saddens me that so many voices on the other side of the aisle have been so quiet. My opponent voted for Donald Trump two times, uh, was just endorsed by Newt Gingrich, of all people. Uh, Americans, I, I ask and I invite everybody to set aside politics for a moment and understand the principles, uh, because freedom and democracy are literally on the ballot this year. Uh, and yes, our elections, thank goodness we have a Secretary of State that administers extraordinarily clean elections. The 3rd District has the highest voter turnout in the entire United States of America. I'm proud of that. We must protect it. We cannot let these people okay. undermine the truth. Tom Weiler, was the election fair? Will you re- respect the results of this one? Yes and yes. That's it? Well, well I uh, guess that, one, That's okay. You don't have to go on. We, I have more questions. Uh, one other thing to Congressman Phillips' point. Um, you know, I was serving in the military for the last two, um, two, two uh, pr- presidential campaigns, so I, I'm not sure why he, he questions my ability to cast a, a vote for president uh, on who I, who I choose and who I, who I believe was, would do the best for the American people. Okay. I think I think I didn't challenge whether he voted or not. I said you voted for President Trump twice is what I said. Okay, Uh, let's move on. Uh, Speaking of foreign policy, the war in Ukraine, the U.S. has spent billions there over the past year or so. Uh, Should it keep spending this kind of money? Can can it help Ukraine win? Tom Weiler. As far as the actual number value, uh, we need to make sure that we are not not inefficiently spending U.S. taxpayer dollars over in the war in Ukraine. It Clearly, we need to support the people of Ukraine. Russia is a complete aggressor, and it's in America's best interest and the world's best interest that that the Ukrainians are supported and defend their, their sovereign territory, and we, we do not um, allow Putin to flex his muscles. So we need to stand up strong to Putin, support Ukrainians, but at the same time, that is the U.S. taxpayer dollars, and we need to make sure that money is getting s- spent on, on programs that are effective and actually moving the ball uh, down the field and not, uh, you know, programs that are that are susceptible to waste and not effective on the battlefield. Dean Phillips, what do you think about the war in Ukraine? First of all, it's disgusting. Uh, President Putin's uh, actions are illegal. They're gr- grotesque. Uh, and they pose a threat to the entire world. Uh, we, the United States of America, must continue to support Ukraine, not just because it's Ukraine versus Putin. It's because it's about freedom. Uh, if this fails, if Ukrainians do not win this war, uh, I'm afraid that there's going to be a domino effect that's quite concerning. We provided extraordinary support to the Ukrainian people, which is why they are winning this war. Uh, the ec- the economic support, the materiel, uh, the military training and equipment has been a massive game changer for the Ukrainians. We must continue to do so. Kevin McCarthy, who aspires to be the Speaker of the House, has essentially indicated that if the GOP takes over control of the House uh, after Tuesday... Uh, that the likelihood of that continued support will decrease precipitously. It's a very significant concern to anybody, Democrats and Republicans, who believe deeply that the United States of America must stand for freedom, 
sovereignty, and self-determination all around the world. You know, I told you before we started that this time was going to go very quickly, and it has. And I appreciate both of you being here to debate, but it's time for final statements. And uh, Tom Weiler, I'll give you the first shot. You have a minute. Thank you. And, and one thing for all voters to know, literally who's on the ballot is Tom Weiler or Congressman Phillips. And I humbly ask for your vote. On Tuesday, I attended Mass with my family. The faith and love pouring from their prayers and songs took hold of me. I thank God for my family, my faith, and my country. And I grew ever more inspired to work to represent my future constituents to preserve and protect the very freedoms that I felt so strong that morning. Our founders pursued and valued that, that freedom. And millions of Americans have gone before us protecting, defending, and improving upon that freedom. Our founders placed a great trust in the American citizens, and the American citizens have always met that challenge. I'm a family man who grew up in the district. I'm a son, a veteran, a middle-class America, a father of two, concerned about the safety of my family and the economic future. Just like the oath I took 22 years ago, I'm running for Congress to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And I'm running for Congress to fight to ensure the optimism and boundless potential of the American dream is available for me and all Americans. Okay. I deployed and operated submarines across this country in service to this great nation, and I humbly ask for your support on this election on November 8th to continue to serve this great nation and its people. Thank Tom you Weiler, very much. Tom Weiler, thank you. And Dean Phillips, you have a minute. Thank you. And Mike, thanks for hosting this. I, I know we would all agree here in this room that uh, we need to have more debate and deliberation in this country. I want to thank you for hosting us. I also want to thank my opponent uh, for serving our country in the Navy for 20 years. I wish more Americans uh, would also share that uh, belief in the importance of public service. And I, I want to thank you for running for office and also for serving our country. I'm a gold star son myself. I lost my father in Vietnam. Uh, it means a great deal to me. Uh, and with that said, I want to restore faith in government. Uh, I'm doing this to be a voice of decency, a voice of civility. I was raised in this remarkable state. It has been my home my entire life. Uh, we are unique. Uh, we do it differently. Uh, and I want to ensure that this great country its great blessings of freedom and liberty continue for my opponent's children, for my children, and everybody listening. I would be honored to secure your vote for one more term, uh, and I'm grateful. I wish everybody to please keep the faith, keep in touch, and remember uh, that optimism is just as contagious as fear. Dean Phillips, DFL congressman from the 3rd District. His opponent is Tom Weiler, the Republican. It's up to you now. Go out and vote on Tuesday, and we'll see what happens. Thanks again so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Just four days left before Election Day. One of the big things voters will decide is which party controls the Minnesota legislature. All 201 seats in the House and Senate are on the ballot Tuesday. Right now, Democrats have a slim majority in the House. Republicans have a slim majority in the Senate. And it is those 67 seats in the Senate we will focus on now. For the past couple of years, Republicans have held 34 of those 67 seats. Democrats had 31, and two were held by independents. One person hoping that Republicans will hold on to that advantage and maybe even expand it a bit is the Republican Senate Majority Leader, Jeremy Miller of Winona. And Senator Miller joins me now. Thanks for coming on today. Well, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on. How many seats in the Senate do you see as truly competitive in this election? Well, there are probably about five to ten seats that are going to determine what the Senate majority looks like. And I'll tell you what, we are four days away from one of the most important midterm elections 
in our state's history, and Republicans have very strong candidates who have been working incredibly hard and getting out to listen to folks all across the state of Minnesota. And we have heard from the people loud and clear. People have made their concerns and their priorities uh, a very tough uh, concern that we're hearing about is record inflation. Record inflation is crushing family budgets. Minnesotans are paying more for gas. They're paying more for energy costs. They're paying more for groceries and virtually Everything else that we use day in and day out is costing more. Republicans are focused on putting more money back in the pockets of hardworking Minnesotans with permanent ongoing tax relief. Under our tax relief plan, working Minnesotans will have more money in their pockets every single paycheck, week after week, month after month, year after year. And we're not stopping there. Hmm. We also think it's really, really important that we support our seniors with the full elimination of taxes paid on Social Security benefits so seniors have more money in their pockets. Minnesota is one of only 12 states, one of only 12 states that still taxes Social Security benefits. And Republicans think it's time for seniors to get this much-deserved relief. So are the most competitive seats in the suburbs, or are there other areas where you think you can pick some up? So there are uh, very competitive uh, seats in the suburbs, and uh, believe it or not, the, the issue that we're hearing about most in the suburbs, we're hearing about inflation, we're hearing that folks want tax relief, seniors want that full elimination of those taxes on Social Security benefits, But in the suburbs and around the Twin Cities, uh, we're really hearing a lot about public safety. People are really, really concerned about the rapid increase of violent crime. The whole defund the police movement has devastated the law enforcement profession, causing police officers to leave this honorable profession at a faster rate and younger age. And what this is doing is it's resulting in a shortage of police officers all across the state of Minnesota. Republicans support our police officers. We support proposals to retain current police officers, as well as proposals to recruit new people to the profession. Uh, Republicans are also very supportive of policies that get tough on crime. Uh, We support uh, stricter penalties on carjackings, fentanyl trafficking, and repeat offenses. In our view, if someone breaks the law, there should be consequences. And in those suburban districts that our candidates are out talking to people, public safety is one of the the top issues, one of the top concerns that's on people's minds right now. Okay, well, let me ask you about that because uh, Governor Walls said yesterday that he thinks there should be a lame duck special session, no matter who wins, uh, after the election, focused solely on public safety. And he says, you know, he's got a $400 million proposal out there, and that could be a starting point. What do you you think about a lame duck special session after the election? Well, the fact of the matter is the Senate, under Republican control, passed a bipartisan public safety bill that invested in police officers. We put forward proposals to uh, invest money that would put more police officers on the streets. We know more cops results in in less crime. 
And we also passed bipartisan proposals to get tough on crime. Unfortunately, uh, those proposals that passed the Senate with bipartisan support were rejected by the House. And at the time, Governor Walls did not agree to them. So I'm happy to hear that he is now making uh, public safety a priority. Anytime we can put funding on the table to support our police officers and anytime we can put proposals on the table to get tough on crime and make our community safer, I am always certainly willing to uh, listen to those options. So you're not closing the door on a special session? If it's a special session that supports our police officers, gets tough on crime, and helps make communities safer, I am certainly open to that discussion. Uh, Do you still want to be majority leader, assuming you uh, win control uh, when you come back next year, or, or would you just assume somebody else do it? Absolutely. I want to be majority leader. Um, I'm just a kid from small town Minnesota uh, with a very simple philosophy. And that philosophy is listen and work together to get good things done for the people of the state of Minnesota. I think what you saw under my leadership in the Senate and Republican control of the Senate this last session was a, a strong effort to pass bipartisan bills. The tax relief package that we put forward would have fully eliminated the tax on Social Security benefits and put more money back in the pockets of hardworking Minnesotans. We passed that bill in the Senate with bipartisan support. Unfortunately, it was rejected by the House and the governor. The public safety bill that we talked about a little bit earlier, we passed that bill in the Senate with bipartisan support. Again, it was held up in the House and by the governor. And another issue that we put a strong focus on in the Senate was education. Right now, our kids are falling behind in the classroom. We're hearing about uh, this from parents across the state. There are concerns about 40% of our kids not being able to read at grade level. So what the Senate did this last session is we were laser focused on proven literacy programs to help kids learn to read and be more successful in the classroom and beyond. Again, we passed that bill in the Senate. Unfortunately, uh, the House and the governor were not supportive, but we're going to continue to make tax relief a priority. We want to help people afford life, especially during these times of record inflation. Public safety will continue to be a priority. We want to make Minnesota communities safer all across the state, and education will continue to be a priority for Republicans because we want to give students more opportunities to be successful in the classroom and beyond. Well, as you say, uh, all, all of that stuff was on the table with the big surplus this year, uh, but but not a lot got done. Um, if Let's just say for the sake of argument, um, things sort of line up the way they are now and it's still divided government next year. What should Minnesotans expect? More gridlock or, or will you actually get something done? Well, it's really disappointing because not only were these issues on the table, but they passed the Republican-controlled Senate with bipartisan support. So uh, Republicans, again, were really focused on solutions to the issues that we were hearing about from the people of the state of Minnesota. We put forward proposals that actually passed our chamber with strong bipartisan support. So we're going to continue to listen to the people. We're going to continue to work together on solutions to address the issues that we're hearing about from the people of Minnesota. And then the other issue that we're hearing a lot of 
uh, a lot about uh, lately is this feeding our future fraud case that has revealed a significant lack of oversight from the governor and his administration. Uh, Republicans are going to make this a priority. We think we need to put a, a stronger focus on holding our government more accountable to protect the taxpayers, including more oversight of government departments and agencies. And we really hope that we'll have willing partners in the House and the administration so we can crack down and prevent this type of fraud, waste, and abuse. Okay, we're almost out of time. How about a prediction? How many seats will Republicans have in the Minnesota Senate next year? You know, is, is we're going to continue to work hard. We're four days away from, again, the most important midterm election, I believe, in our state's history. And we're going to continue to uh, hit the campaign trail and listen to the voters and put forward uh, common sense solutions to address the issues that we're hearing about from the people all across the state of Minnesota. And I think it's going to be a very successful night for Republicans. So you think you'll have more than 34 seats next year? I am very optimistic, and I think it's going to be a, a, a very successful night for Republicans here in Minnesota and across the country. Okay, and where are you going to be on election night? Uh, on election night, that is uh, yet to be determined. I think I will be. Uh, I think I'll be up in the Twin Cities. Okay, well, uh, maybe we can uh, uh, arrange to get a hold of you at some point on election night and talk about how things are going. Absolutely, would be happy to do so. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. That's Jeremy Miller. He's a Republican state senator from Winona and the Republican majority leader in the Minnesota Senate. And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. As we've been saying, there are just four days to go before Election Day and control of the Minnesota legislature is at stake. In the state Senate, the question is whether Republicans will continue to control a majority of the 67 seats or whether Democrats can flip a net two seats and actually take control. Heading up the campaign effort for Senate Democrats this year is Erin Murphy. She's a DFL senator from St. Paul, and she's here right now. Senator Murphy, thanks for coming. It's good to see you, Mike Mulcahy. It's good to see you. Um, How many seats do you think are competitive for the Senate this year? As we have organized this campaign, we think about nine seats as competitive seats, although there are candidates competing in in districts where they really have no business competing, but because they're running such strong campaigns, really focused on meeting this moment with Minnesotans, in addition to the nine seats that we think are competitive, we see some races that we're hopeful about. And where, uh, in general, are the competitive seats? Are they in the suburbs or are they all around the state? They're around the state. There are a couple of seats up north, uh, as, uh, Senate District 3 and the, and the Iron Range there ahead. Uh, Senate District 4 in Moorhead, Senate District 14 in St. Cloud, and there's a district down in Rochester. Um, And then around the suburbs, there are a number of seats uh, where we have really strong candidates, some competing and contesting uh, with a Republican and some open seats. But we have a clear, it's a narrow but a very clear path to a majority, a pro-choice majority in the Minnesota Senate. And we built an amazing campaign uh, to take us to that that goal. Um, 
we just heard Senator Miller. He said the issues that uh, his candidates are hearing from as they knock on doors are inflation, crime, and education. What are the issues that uh, Democrats are hearing as they're out talking to voters? I think our candidates are hearing about a variety of issues, and it depends on where they're living. Um, Certainly, we're hearing about the cost of things. Uh, We're hearing some, but not that much, about crime and public safety. Uh, We're hearing a fair amount about the stripping of reproductive rights uh, by the Supreme Court, and I will tell you, voters are quite angry about that. They don't remember a time when people's rights were stripped away. People are talking about democracy and voting rights and the extremism uh, of uh, Republicans that are running for the legislature. And NPR just reported that 25% of the Republicans running for the legislature are uh, essentially election deniers. Uh, They're worried about the extremism in our politics. And honestly, I think that the reason why we have such strong candidates that are running for the legislature in this cycle is because... They are worried, just like Minnesotans are worried, about the state of the nation, about the state of our state. And they want legislators who will come back to work and do the work for the people of Minnesota. And that's why I think we're going to win. Well, what what will Democrats in the Senate do about these issues? What can they do? Uh, you know, the, the Democrats uh, in the House and the Senate uh, have been robust in their proposals on a variety of issues. So in 2021, Kent Egan, who is now retiring for the legislature, proposed and paid for a cut to the Social Security tax. Um, That's something that Democrats support. Uh, We have supported uh, both frontline worker pay, uh, which which we got across the line in this last session, but also rebates to put money directly into the pockets of Minnesotans who are struggling with the cost of things. Uh, We have supported and did support a number of proposals dealing with public safety Um, And we will continue to pursue aid to local governments so that they are able to hire local law enforcement and to make sure that our communities are safe. Those are all things that Democrats have voted for and that they support. Uh, We also know that with a majority, we can codify Roe and remove some of the restrictions in law um, to full reproductive freedom. And we can use the surplus that is in place, that is waiting because the Republicans decided to walk away at the end of last session to make sure that we are recovering from COVID and that we are doing what we can to do together to make sure that Minnesotans are thriving in the communities in which they live. Uh, I don't know if you heard it, but uh, Governor Walls told uh, our Brian Baxt yesterday that uh, he's interested after the election in a special session focused just on public safety. And he says he has a $400 million plan that he brought up earlier in the year and it didn't it didn't pass. But uh, that could be a starting point. Um, no matter who wins, just do this. What do you think about that idea? You know, we should have had a special session very early this summer. Uh, at the end of session, and I've done this before as the majority leader, uh, you reach a conclusion, you reach an agreement. And uh, the majority leader in the Senate, the Speaker of the House, and the governor did reach a conclusion, a framework that should have taken us through to the end of the session, that would have funded public safety, that would have uh, advanced a bonding bill, that would have taken care of a tax bill, funding for education. Uh, they signed a term sheet, they shook hands, they did a press conference, and on that last day of session, I was with my colleagues in the chamber, and we were voting on bills that were passed through the House, and the Republicans, after we voted to pass them, laid them on the table, and they left them there. And we left that session without finishing the work for the people of Minnesota. 
And I understand that you can pass bills in your chamber that have bipartisan support. But as the leader of a caucus, if you can't get that work to the governor's desk and signed, you're not getting your job done. So I think the idea of a special session is a good idea. We should have done it back in June for the people of Minnesota and that the Republicans in the Senate decided to sit down and walk away from that work is an example of the kind of extremism that we should no longer tolerate in policymaking here in Minnesota. You talked about that framework agreement, and it was to basically divide up the surplus, right? And uh, I think, if I remember correctly, $4 billion would have gone to tax cuts, $4 billion to spending, $4 billion sort of put in the bank. That's right. Um if the Democrats are in charge in the Senate next year, is that sort of the starting point? Or do you start from scratch and and come up with a whole new uh, program and, and plan for what to do with that money? Because of redistricting and because there are so many retirements, this new legislature is going to have lots of new people, both sides of the aisle, in both chambers. And the people who are newly elected in particular, and I remember this from my first race, are going to come into the legislature having talked with thousands of people in their community. They have made commitments to the people in their community to actually make progress on the issues that we face. And I think that is an awesome opportunity for us to reset and step away from the kind of politics that's being practiced right now in the legislature, which is about leveraging one another and trying to use, and in this last session was really detrimental from my perspective, use the legislative session to position for an election at the expense of Minnesotans. So I look forward to this next session with new people, with fresh commitment, and we will then evaluate what we have learned from the people of Minnesota, what we understand about where we want to go and build forward. So while that framework is in place, um, I'm not sure that it is the foundation that will guide us. I think the newly elected people in particular and all that they have heard from Minnesotans will be our guide. The uh, DFL leader in the Senate, Melissa Lopez Franson, she's not running for re-election this year. Uh, you've been sort of uh, the key player here in, in running the campaign. Are you interested in that job, whether it be majority leader or minority leader next year? Leader Lopez Franson has been a tremendous asset in this last year, and it has been a real joy to work with her. And she is the leader of our caucus until we get through this election and elect a new leader. My focus has been on the campaign, has been on recruiting candidates, raising the necessary resources. And I, I will say that I'm a part of an extraordinary Senate DFL caucus campaign. I, I am incredibly proud of what we have built um, and how we're competing in a year where people said the Democrats have no no opportunity to win. We are in a path to win this election because we've worked very hard in a very collaborative way, and Leader Lopez Franson has been at the front of that. So I'm focused on the election until we get through that, and we can talk about the leadership of the next caucus once we get through this election. Okay. Uh, you talked a little bit about leaving things on the table last time. Um, if the Democrats are in charge of the Senate next year, will there – and I don't know who the governor will be or who, who will be in charge in the House, but let's just say for the sake of argument that it's still divided government. Um, would things get stuck again or would there – you have to pass a budget, right, at some point. Uh, would there be progress? We have to pass a budget. Uh, and in campaigning, we are actually making a commitment to the people of Minnesota that we're going to do the work that they're sending us in to do. So we have to pass a budget. And I have worked, you know, in the legislature in 
when we've had a trifecta. I have worked in divided government. I've been in the minority and the majority. And when there is a will, there is a way to get that work done. Minnesotans expect us to do that. And when we are in charge, the Democrats in the Minnesota Senate, we will get that work done for them. And just to sum up, top priorities for Democrats if they control the Senate next year. You know, we want to meet Minnesotans in this moment. We have work to do to recover, uh, but we want to make sure people have a safe place to live, health care that they, ca- they can count on, and strong public schools, a job that supports their family. Bread and butter issues are our focus. It is true that if we win a pro-choice majority, we're going to pursue reproductive freedom. We need to do that in the wake of the Dobbs decision. But that is something that is widely supported by the people of Minnesota, and they are asking us to do that work. So we are going to do the work that we need to do, what we've heard from the people of Minnesota. We're going to make progress for them in sharp contrast with a Republican Party that is swiftly moving to the extreme I'm very worried that they will not be in a position to be able to govern if given the power. And that's why I hope Minnesotans put Democrats in charge. Still that big surplus on the table. Um, Permanent tax cuts, temporary tax cuts, tax rebates. What would the DFL plan be? So there are Democrats that have supported permanent tax cuts. And I have lived and have been in the legislature when we have uh, experienced sharp deficits. So from my perspective and with this caucus, I think we will be looking at tax cuts. We'll be looking at rebates to put money back in people's pockets. But we're also going to have an eye on the structural nature of that budget and of our our budget as a whole. Uh, We don't want to go back into the place where we uh, create for ourselves by deep tax cuts uh, budget deficits because that hurts people in in the future, and it hurts our ability to build a future for the people of Minnesota. So I think you'll see strong tax proposals coming from our caucus, but also with an eye on structural balance in that budget. Another issue Senator Miller raised was this feeding our future uh, fraud, alleged fraud. Some, some have pleaded guilty. Uh, is there a problem uh, with uh, accountability and uh, oversight uh, of taxpayer money? So... I am deeply disturbed by the story of this fraud and grateful for the U.S. Attorney Andy Luger for his vigorous pursuit of this case. I understand that the governor, the attorney general, the Department of Education all played their part in uh, revealing this. And I'm grateful that the U.S. Attorney is taking such strong action to make sure that this doesn't happen again. How about a prediction? How many uh, seats will uh, Democrats hold in the state Senate next year? I'm crossing my fingers. I'm Irish and superstitious, and I'll say 35 seats. 35 seats. Well, we'll see what happens on Tuesday night. Uh, Thanks so much for coming in today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That is uh, DFL Senator Erin Murphy of St. Paul. She's working on the uh, effort to elect Democrats to the state Senate this year. And uh, that will just about do it for our program today. Just to remind you, we will be here on Tuesday night, Tom Cran and I and our entire team, to uh, bring you the election results. NPR will be watching what's happening around the country, and we'll have results and analysis from here in Minnesota. So get out and vote on Tuesday, and then tune in to NPR News after the polls close at 8. Of course, we'll have all the results Tuesday evening at nprnews.org as well. For today, our producer was Twyla Dang, with help from Jeff Jones. Alex Simpson was technical director. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Have a great weekend. We'll see you here Tuesday night.